Let me, uh, let me pray and, uh, and, and let's just get started. Father, I just want to give you glory. Father, I just want to keep my eyes on you. And I pray that as, as your word is being uh, opened up and unleashed, that all our eyes will be on you. Lord, just as your people in the desert kept their eyes on you, Lord God, and those uh, who are perishing were saved, Lord God. Father, just as uh, um, the, uh, the cross of Jesus Christ, when the Son of Man was lifted high, all men's eyes were drawn upon him, and those who were drawn upon him were saved, Lord God. Father, I thank you that today uh, we can cause that, that, that we can do our little part to cause the word of God and the truth of God and the beauty of our God to be emblazoned before us uh, uh, in beauty, in, in, in goodness, and in everlasting, enduring truth. And we can all come under the shadow of the cross today. Be saved to be protected, to be loved, to be cared for, and to endure forever. And so, Father, with this, I pray and ask that you cause, uh, um, you, you, you cause me to decrease, you cause your word to increase uh, to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. All right. Today, uh, we're continuing in our little series on Second Thessalonians. Um, and today, I'll be sharing with you guys a word on the lawless man or the man of lawlessness. I've entitled this Lawless Man Shall Perish, right? And it's M-E-N, right? Because it's not just one man. It's, it's all lawless people shall perish. But it sounds, it sounds very, uh, uh, it, it, it sounds very apocalyptic. In some ways, it is. I'll tell you something about apocalyptic. When I was, when I was 11, when I was 11, uh, uh, Iraq invaded Kuwait. How many of you guys were old enough to remember when Iraq invaded Kuwait, right? And the Gulf War happened. I grew up in a family um, um, that where my, my dad is like a major news junkie, right? Like if he, was, if he was in his 30s and 40s today, he would be on every news app, right? And, and to some extent, he still is, right? Um, and back in the 80s and 90s, uh, my father was a major news junkie. He was, he, and, and we had guests in our house all the time. You know who are our most frequently visiting guests in our house? Some of you will get this. Some of you totally won't get this. Mahadze Lokman, Wan Zaleha Razi. You guys remember some of these names? Uh, Ras Adiba, Suhaimi Sulaiman. These are the regular features in our house. Every night, every day, they are in our house. One, They are on our TV screens. These are the newscasters of the 80s and of the 90s, right? Um, and so I was very aware when Saddam Hussein led Iraq to invade Kuwait in the, in the early 90s, right? Um, uh, and in, in, in the wake of that invasion, um, of course, uh, under, uh, under Bush Sr., um, America uh, um, responded. And I remember so clearly that at that time, uh, there must have been some whisper going around or some conspiracy theory floating around, okay, um, that this, this leader from Iraq is the Antichrist, okay? So this is, this is like, this has been going on since forever, okay? Since forever. And I was, I was 10 or 11, you know, and, and this happened. And, and I remember so clearly, there was one particular night, my family grew up, not, I, I mean, my family is not a Christian family, right? I'm the, I'm, in a way, the only Christian in my family, right? And so, and so I remember one particular night, my sisters went to the, our, our study room. They pulled out a bunch of books uh, from the bookshelf. And there was like 
Nostradamus and all of his prophecies, right? Uh, and uh, I think there were like, um, I think there was like Edgar Casey and all of his prophecies, you know? Um, and, then, uh, and then there was like um, Good News Bible and all of his prophecies. We had a copy of the Good News Bible um, that our aunt gave us, right? And so we had all these things out. Now, honestly, I don't even know how my sisters knew how to flip to where in these books to find these things, but somehow they knew. Maybe they read it in some magazine or some article in the newspapers or something like that. I'm not sure. But I remember that we started looking at what Nostradamus said about, about the Antichrist. And, and he said a bunch of things. I, I don't remember exactly the things he said, right? Uh, and then we, we, I remember they, at some point, we flipped into the book of Revelation and we started to read about the Antichrist or what we thought must have been the Antichrist, the beast. And it's like, you know, uh, extremely frightening. None of us uh, uh, had any contact with the Bible, you know, and then we we're looking at it. It's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, is this Saddam Hussein? Is this Saddam Hussein? And we started to, to indulge and drink deep from those uh, conspiracy theories, so to speak. I was a lot younger, of course, you know, and my, and my siblings were all older. I'm the youngest of six, you know, so, so it gives you some context, right? Everyone's older than me, they're smarter than me. They got these things figured out. They're figuring out these things and I'm just kind of like, you know, going along with the flow. And that was my introduction um, to the idea that there is this ruler who's going to come at the at something like the end of the world time, right? Um, and that people are anticipating his arrival. And his arrival will come uh, with some signs of wars and some signs of, of, of trouble and fear. And people are going to be afraid of whoever this, this thing is. And, and sometimes people call him the Antichrist. And sometimes uh, people call him the Beast. And sometimes people call him all kinds of other things. And that really was my introduction to it. Today, we are going to be looking at a part of 2 Thessalonians where Paul helps the Thessalonican church to understand this same issue. This same issue because they're all these same rumors, these same conspiracy theories, the same lack of clarity about what's going to happen and maybe not too dissimilar from me and my siblings back uh, in the first Gulf War. People scurrying around trying to pick up information from all kinds of spurious sources and not very credible documents, you know, and, and trying to piece the whole thing together. Why? Because we may be afraid, we may be watching, we may be excited, we may be all kinds of things. And to some extent, end times things end of the world things and be Christ things, okay, seem to, seems to draw out this kind of like, this kind of like morbid curiosity in us, right? Like we, we, we are slightly afraid of what might happen and then we are very, uh, uh, we find it very juicy as well and we like to dive in. Today, we are going to dive in, but we are diving in with a Christian lens. We are diving in with a lens of the, as a people, who are saved and who belong in Christ. Now, um, we saw um, over the last few uh, weeks, okay, that the, Thessala, the church in Thessalonica have been told that they are, and they are growing strong in the midst of enduring pain. Not just that, but they have been, they are, they are now called and they are living a life worthy of that calling. Remember, I shared with you on the first week during the overview that this whole uh, letter is punctuated by two 
warnings. The first warning is that lawless men shall perish. The second warning is that you got to work hard. You know, if not, you don't eat, right? Okay, so don't be idle, okay? And then next week, uh, in the weeks to come, uh, next week's Father's Day, so we're going to take a break. And then in the weeks to come after that, we're going to be seeing how the church continues to stand firm, to hold on to their faith, and then the gospel breaks out. These two are actually very related, okay? So, so this is a bird's eye view of where we are at in, in, in 2 Thessalonians. Today, we are here. Right? This is the first of two warnings in this book. Now, what is happening here? I'm just going to read the text to you. We're going to look at it together. Okay? Um, you can read along uh, uh, um, as I go, you know, but I'm just going to read at normal pace. Okay? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not be not to be easily upset or troubled either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. So just put a pause on that. Remember, in the first week, I told y'all um, that the Thessalonian church um, had thought that the rapture passage, the rapture section of the, of the first Thessalonians had already happened. So they were freaking out and they were thinking, oh my gosh, have I missed this? Has something end times happened and I've been missing out? And Paul is saying, no, it hasn't happened. Why? Because don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless, and then here's the text that, uh, that matters to us today, unless what? The apostasy comes first. If at home, you're looking at your physical Bible and you see it says the rebellion comes first, I will talk about that translation in a moment. Okay, I think, yeah, some of you here, you're on your physical Bibles, you see that as well. Unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness. So this case, it's not ungendered. I, I, I make it a habit whenever it's, it's ungendered to tell you it's, it's men and women, right? This is a specific human being. And it's a man. It's a man whom they call the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. How many of you would like to be introduced that way, right? I want to introduce you to my friend. He's doomed to destruction. You don't really want to be introduced that way, but he is introduced that way. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. This might have something to do with this. Yeah, the fact that he proclaims himself to be God and he is doomed to destruction. All right, verse 5. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this? Pause. If ever you find that 2 Thessalonians is not the most super completist about telling you everything about the Antichrist or telling you everything about rapture or no rapture or how end times is going to work. It's actually very practical reasons why Paul is not being shady or weird. He actually spent time with this church and he gathered them like this and he stood like this with them and he taught them for weeks and weeks, possibly for months. Okay. And then, but it wasn't very long because before long, the persecution happened and they had to, Paul had to leave, right? But he did spend time talking to them about this. That's why when he writes a letter to them, he does not need to go through all of his teaching all over again. All he needs to do is to 
jog their memory because apparently they've forgotten some of the things he taught. And so you read 2 Thessalonians and you go like, huh, why so many missing gaps? You know, I wish I knew all the things he taught then. But it's okay. God birthed you in the year, in the 20th century. Okay, some of you born in the 21st century, not in first century. And so God has a unique plan for every single one of us for this day and age. And it is okay to not know the details that the Thessalonian church received in person with Paul. Okay, so sometimes we look and we say that, oh, I wish I could fill in the gaps. This is enough for us. To what? To, to be saved and to walk daily in obedience. This is enough for us, okay? Anything more than this is going extra biblical and you're probably going to walk into murky waters anyway. Now, let me continue. And you know what currently restrains him. Okay, so this man of lawlessness is being restrained so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he's out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed. Just a little footnote, okay? If you're looking at your physical Bibles and you look at, uh, well, whichever Bible you're looking at, not this screen. If you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, there's a little part there that talks about how Jesus Christ will be revealed in the right time. And here it's talking about the man of lawlessness going to be revealed at the right time as well. There's a fascinating parallel between the two. Or if you can look at it a different way, this, it's fascinating how this man of lawlessness, Revelation, okay, his unveiling is like a counterfeit to the unveiling of King Jesus at his right time. I wish I had time to dive into every little tributary and every little rabbit hole I don't have time to do all that. You know, I've got one kind of like three points to share with you. So I have to go on. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. Of course, this is, this is prophetic language. You're not, it's not literal. He's not actually going to go like, ah, and then, you know, um, during breath, everybody dies, you know. Um, that's not going to happen, okay? It's just, a, it's just prophetic you know, symbolic language. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders serving the lie. And with every wicked deception among those who are perishing, they perish of the truth or in some translations, because they did not love the truth. And so, in loving the truth, be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that all will be condemned. Those who did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. Just one quick word. God sends them a strong delusion. Some of you might have trouble with that. In fact, if you don't have trouble with that, you should. It should cause like a yellow flag to go up because you should start asking yourself, good Bible student, huh? you should ask yourself, I thought God is all good. I thought God does not uh, 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 do harm to people, right? I will go into that in a moment, okay? Um, in the middle section of today's sermon, I will explain this or at least attempt to show you what I believe it means, okay? But they loved unrighteousness. Instead of loving the truth, they loved unrighteousness. Now, I want to share with you today's whole sermon. Uh, I'm just kind of grouping it together in three main points. And these are the three main points. Get ready. Everybody say, get ready. 
in control, love truth. Somebody say, get ready, in control, love truth. Okay, you guys ready? All right, get ready for what? Get ready for this thing. Don't let anyone deceive you, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first. What is this apostasy? To be an apostate, to apostasy means to leave your, leave your faith, right? It means to leave your faith. In BM, it's called murtad. And murtad is a big deal in Malaysia, right? To murtad is, is really uh, controversial. Now, if you have some of your Bibles, you see it says the rebellion, okay? Um, the actual Greek word is apostasia, okay? Now, I read in my research for today, um, some people look at the word rebellion. Maybe it's because of some theological kind of leaning uh, um, that, that drives the translation to translate apostasia as rebellion, okay? Um, but I read uh, there are some scholars who think that this is not believers of Jesus, who will be this, right? That this will be um, the whole world all acting in rebellion against God. That's not the view I hope, okay? Uh, because the word in Greek is apostasia, and apostasia means defection from the truth. We are Malaysians. We know what defecting from something uh, 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 means, right? It means that you were once part of this, and then you defect from it. It means you leave that um, uh, um, association, defection from the truth, falling away, and forsaking. All of these, uh, all of these uh, definitions of the word apostasia means that you were once in, and then now you draw yourself out. Okay, so there is going to be a great apostasy, a great apostasy causing many who believe in Yahweh, many who put their faith in King Jesus, to leave. Now. Just a short word on maybe some theological groupings. Some of you may be, um, may be familiar um, that there are, in, maybe in Christian circles, there are Calvinists and Armenians, okay? Um, uh, Calvinists, loosely speaking, believe that once saved, always saved, okay? Um, and your salvation is uh, an initiative from God and He secures it and nothing you can do can make it otherwise, Armenians generally believe that um, you can lose your salvation and that uh, your, salva your, your salvation is an interplay between God's work and your decision in, in, in for, to be saved, okay? And that because of that, you have the free will to walk out, right? And so, regardless of where you stand on this theological spectrum, and I believe that in a room gathered with X number of you guys like this, Definitely, there are some of you who are leaning uh, more Calvinist and some leaning more Armenian. That's okay, right? Regardless of where you stand on this, both need to engage with what's happening here. Regardless of where you stand, so in all likelihood, the Calvinists will say that, yes, they will leave. They will be part of this apostasy, but they were never really saved in the first place. They just appeared to be saved. They were never really saved. Of course, I'm simplifying things. And then the Armenians will say, yeah, they were saved. And then they walked away, and now they are no longer saved, okay? But I, 
pointing this out to you because when you look at the Bibles that say rebellion, there are some people on this side, maybe extreme end of this side, who say, and I'm not going to fall over, but who say that um, if you're saved, you cannot be an apostate. So this thing does not mean an apostasy. It means a general global rebellion. That's just something for you to know so that as you read your Bible, you're more aware about the words. Now, this reminds me very much of a passage in the Gospel of Matthew. During this great apostasy, what is it going to look like when families uh, start to experience this kind of pressure, when some people leave the faith and some people don't, and when all of these troubles happen? It looks like this, Matthew 24. Jesus replied to them, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted and they will kill you and you will be hated by all nations. This is not sequential, so it doesn't mean they kill you, then you'll be hated, right? Um, but they will kill some of you. Some of you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another and hate one another. Cross-reference to another part of Matthew. Matthew chapter 10 that says this, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of China's cultural revolution. If you're familiar with the 1960s history in China, where literally students were betraying their teachers, um, Parents were betraying, uh, older parents were betraying their, young, their, their, their adult children, uh, teenage children were betraying their parents because as long as you had any trace of something that was against what the communist government at that time considered to be, to be capitalism, something like that, okay, we can have a chat about this offline, that you were considered criminal and the red guards will come for you, and the person who be the whistleblower will be in the good books of the party. And, and it's, it's frightening. It's really frightening. If you, if you have never dipped into um, cultural revolution history, it looks exactly like this. And why am I underlying this for you? I'm trying to show you that this has happened before. It happened in Russia as well. There's a huge book by this guy called Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Okay, it's called The Gulag Archipelago. I've never read it, okay, because it's yay thick. It's like seven volumes, something like that. And, but I've heard and I've read excerpts about it. And what it describes is the situation in Russia during um, the Stalin era and after that about how in Russia the, com the trust between people, between community entirely broke down because you always felt that there was a mole in your midst and someone was going to betray you, okay? And because of that, everyone lived for themselves. Nobody trusted even their spouse or their parents or something like that. Co society completely broke down. Now, why am I sharing this with you? To show you that this has already been happening. This is not something you need to wait for to say that one day this will happen. Someday this had already happened. Twice in this world. In at least, and I'm not singling out the communists, but in two communist regimes, this has already happened in the 20th century. And I believe this will continue to happen in spurts in our lifetime and that 
there's something for us to bear in mind about. As we think about end times issues, I want to disciple us not to be, not to be conspiratorial in our thinking, but to be real world and realistic in our thinking, okay? I think that's, that, that's one of the hallmarks of our Sungai Blow Church is that we will not be conspiratorial over end times issues, but we will be very realistic and we'll keep our eyes on the ground, okay? Now, brother will betray brother, blah, 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 but the one who endures at the end will be saved. Back to Matthew 24. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness, men of lawlessness, right? Lawlessness will multiply the love of many will grow cold. But repeat from Matthew 10, the one who endures to the end will be saved. So I'm going to tell you this, tell you straight. doesn't matter whether you're Armenian or you're Calvinist, you've got to endure. And there are some people who will, who will articulate this part of the spectrum as if you're safe, you're fine, you can go and chill. Okay? But if you actually listen um, to, to the really good thinkers at this part, of, I mean, if you listen to John Piper, he will tell you that you really have to endure, okay? And so, regardless of where you are on that spectrum, the one who endures till the end will be saved. Now, my friends, what's the whole deal? Get ready. For what? Get ready to endure because we are going to enter into an age. If not, we are already in an age when we have to face the reality that soul-saving endurance, not you saving other people's souls, huh? your own soul being saved, endurance that causes your own soul to stay saved, will characterize the end-time Christian. I'm going to be real straight with you guys. It's not going to get easier. I told you guys on the first week when we did Thessalonian series that it grieves me whenever... Whenever the gospel is preached as if something that when you come and become a Christian, that you get health and wealth and everything gets good and it's just blessings all the way. It grieves me when we think that becoming a Christian means ticket to heaven and, and smooth sailing and everything is just, is just uh, uh, credit, 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 you know, and, and it's, just, it's just good life. Because as I said in the first week, our best life is not now. We are living now. We are living now to bring light in and bring renewal to a world that is deeply broken. And then when this deeply broken world gets renewed, first through the work of Christ on the cross, and then through all of our work, through the power of the cross, and then the decisive final work, Christ's second coming to bring about full renewal of the world. When all that happens, then we step into the, the, our eternal home where all the best promises that, were, that are given by the health and wealth preachers are attained there, not here. You may attain some of it here because we live in the now and the not yet. But we're not going to cash in on all the health and wealth, so to speak, here. We're not. And God has a destiny for some of us to live Frugally, God has a destiny for some of us um, to travel far and minister the word. God has a destiny for some of us to have people travel far to you to minister the word, uh, for, for you to minister the word. And God may have a destiny for some of us to be martyred to the glory of our God. And this 
is our life. Get ready to what? To endure. Because soul-saving endurance is going to characterize the Christian in the end times. And I told you, we're not going to be corporeal in this church. We're going to be realistic. And the realistic way to think about the times we live in is we have to learn how to endure. We can't be floating about expecting this Christian life to be a bit of roses and every day it's just wool and harps and clouds. It's not. We're not care bears, right? We are we're Christians. So get ready to endure. Secondly, there is a power play at work. There is a tussle for control. That is why the second point I want to bring you into is about being in control. Who is in control? The one who tries to assert control is just now, as we saw, the man of lawlessness tries to assert control. But God is in control. Somebody say, God is in control. God is in control. Amen? Amen? We have a God who is sovereign. I want to show you what's happening here. And in this middle section, okay, I want you guys to just do this symbolically as strapping on some seatbelt. Okay? Everybody, one, two, three, strap on your seatbelt. Because I'm going to take you through quite a bit of slides, quite a bit of scripture, and it's going to be a little bit dense in the middle section. The weather might be a little choppy in the middle section. I need your attention because the world has all kinds of ideas about Antichrist. But I want to show you from Scripture what this is going to look like. The man of lawlessness is then revealed. The man doomed to destruction, he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple, proclaiming that he himself is God. Now, this is a picture of the man of lawlessness, okay? But there are other pictures of this so-called man of lawlessness. In 2 Thessalonians 2, this is what he's called. In 1 John chapters 2 and 4, there is a very similar uh, 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 personality. I won't immediately conflict the two. I think it's important as Bible students, we don't just immediately say they are the same. Okay, we got to look at the data before we say that they are the same. But there is another personality that's very similar to the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians. And John calls him the Antichrist. The Antichrist. By the way, the book of Revelation don't have mention of Antichrist. Okay? Don't, don't embarrass yourself to say, oh, I know about Antichrist. He's in the Revelation. He's not in Revelation. Okay? At least in the strictest sense of the word, the word Antichrist, the naming of Antichrist is not in the book of Revelation. Okay? He's called the or, or some, there's another similar one in the, in, in the book of Revelation called the beast in Revelation chapter 13. In fact, there is a first beast and there is a second beast. And depending on how you read the book of Revelation, you may interpret the second beast as having an alternate name, which is the false prophet. But all these names suggest a certain personality or personality types, seeing as this has multiple, multiple types, you know, kind of rolled into one word, revealing a certain kind of characteristic. Now, at this point, I just want to pause before we go on. Remember I told you we are not going to be conspiratorial? One of the common things that I see happening when people look at end times is that they start to tr do train spotting. 
you know, train spotting. You look from far and you say, that's the one, ah, that's the one, that's the one. You know, and suddenly you are like me and my siblings, you know, back in the early 90s, going like, oh, Saddam Hussein, is this the one? You know, and then suddenly uh, X number of years later, you go like, oh, Barack Obama, is that the one? Osama bin Laden, is that the one? This fella, is that the one? Is Donald Trump the one? Is this fella the one? And then suddenly you're like, you're like, get sucked into this game. And it can be quite an exciting game if these kind of things rock your boat. But honestly, I want to show you that there are commonalities between this and this and this. And it is more important to recognize the pattern than to spot for the personalities. Church, do I have you with me? It is more important to recognize the pattern than to spot the personalities. I can tell you this, lots of people have spent thousands of years spotting for personalities. They, were, they started spotting during Nero's time, Emperor Nero. By the way, that 666, which is the mark of the beast, numerically, it spells out Nero. So there have been people spotting it as a that's Nero and for maybe thousands of years in heaven or, in, or wherever, they're like, ha ha, you're pointing at the wrong uh, you know, personality. It's been Nero from the start because if you, only you don't know how to interpret 666 only, right? And then everybody else is continuing to spot. What's more important for us as realistic, grounded, end-time Christians? Watch and recognize the patterns. What are the patterns? I'm going to show you seven. That's why you needed to strap up because I'm going to show you seven. The first and second. Number one, he is doomed to destruction. From the, out, from the outset, he is doomed to destruction. This, whatever you want to call it, let's stick to man of lawlessness, okay? He is doomed to destruction. Meaning to say that even before anything is unfolded, we know the end from the beginning. And it's important that we know the end from the beginning because we worship a God who ends all of creation so that we don't have to guess what the ending is. We don't have to be afraid of spoilers if you're a Christian. The spoiler, let me give it to you. Jesus wins. That's a good spoiler because now that we know Jesus wins, we can, we can live not for victory, we live from victory. We don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. We don't uh, uh, minister to people hoping for victory, we minister to people from a position and a standing of victory. Christ is winning. Christ has won, Christ is winning, Christ will win in the end. We were saved, we are being saved, and we will be fully saved at the end. We are with a God who has doomed this man of lawlessness to destruction from the outset. No fight. Well, as Pastor Rami shared yesterday uh, 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 um, uh, in, a, in a small group uh, that I was in yesterday, the moment Jesus walks into a battle, the battle's over. You still have to play it out, but a battle in the sense that is there still a risk of us losing in an in a ultimate sense? No. God is winning, God has won, and God will win the final battle. It is decisive, it has been decided, and it will happen. Will there be, will there be skirmishes where we experience what looks like loss? Yes. That's why we must endure. The one who endures till the end will be saved. Why? Because if you endure till the end, you see the final victory. 
and later we're going to lift up our hands and we're going to proclaim into the atmosphere saying that I am going to see a victory. Why? Because I will endure till the end. If you chicken out halfway during some of those skirmishes where it looks like you're losing and you chicken out, you do not endure to the end, you will not see the victory. But church, endure to the end. The one who endures to the end will be safe. The one who endures to the end can say, I have seen the victory. Amen? Number one, he is doomed to destruction. Number two, he has both come and is yet to come. And that might make you feel like, eh? Huh? Wait, 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 Antichrist come or not yet? I want to know, clear, give me clear answer. Antichrist come or not yet come? The answer is, according to 2 Thessalonians 2, I'm going to stand here and block this part. Okay? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, meaning it has come. But the one now restraining will do so, meaning that the Antichrist, will, or the, the man of lawlessness, to be pedantic, the man of lawlessness will be restrained until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. So to some extent, he has not come. He's still being restrained. So he's being restrained, he has not come. But the mystery of lawlessness has already come. Has he come? Has he not come? In one sense, he hasn't come. In another sense, his spirit has come. I'm going to show you what the Apostle John says now. Let's step away. In 1 John chapter 2, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. Has he come? Has he not come? He has come. And then, in some sense, he has not come. So help, let me help you understand this. Scripture is showing us that this lawlessness, this Antichrist spirit is not. That's why I tell you it's so important that you don't spot personalities. Because if you're trying to spot personalities, this is going to mess with you. Because this is going to give you a very ambiguous answer, right? But watch the pattern. The pattern is that Antichrist have already come. Study the pattern of the Antichrist that have come. And these are going to tell you what it's going to look like. Perhaps. I believe, in an intensified form for the ultimate one to come. So if you play these games, this kind of like fighting games, and you fight this enemy, then you win. Round two, win. Yeah, you move on to the next level, right? Then you fight a harder opposition. Okay? And then you fight a harder and a harder, and then you keep playing all the way up until the boss mode. And then the boss mode is like super difficult. You know, he seems to have all the attributes of all the earlier fellows who can fight really well, you know, and more, right? And then that's boss mode, okay? I believe from the evidence of scripture that this man of lawlessness, his spirit has already come. And then you see pictures of kind of like mini antichrist already having come, okay? And then there is one that will come later. Now, you can get worried about the one that's going to come later. It may, he may or may not show up in our lifetime. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not one of those fellows who's going to say that, oh, Jesus is going to come within your lifetime. We prepare for any day. Yes. Do we prepare for any day? Yes. Okay, but let's live with a long sense of time because God has always taught his people to live with a long sense of time. Okay, be patient with the people around you and don't, don't 
live as if oh it's all going to end anyway so we don't have to do anything anymore like that's a wrong that's a wrong way to approach this end times thing so that's one very important thing for us to know he has both come and he's yet to come recognize the pattern don't go spotting for personalities number three he is defined by rebellion against god so he will langa god he will langa our god he will langa our god in whatever way he can langa our god where do we see this okay we see this i think cannot langa the tv yeah okay second thessalonians 2 this one is the antichrist sorry this is this this one john i got this wrong okay copy paste problem okay this one is the antichrist the one who denies the father and the son he denies the father in one john it says he denies the father and the son he langa with god revelation 13 the beast was given about to utter boasts and blasphemies so he refutes god boasts of himself and blasphemes against god okay so there's something we gotta know okay but i don't have to go into detail on this one number four he assumes a god-like status so he doesn't just fight with god but he puts himself on the throne of god we saw that in we see that in one john 2 he opposes and exalts himself above sorry i swapped wrong one this is second thessalonians now you'll see huh? working at 2 a.m is a uh, hazardous okay he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god he proclaimed that he himself is god so there will be a fighting against god there will be an assuming of the role of god okay number five he persecutes the christians you're going to see that this power, and so when you look back, how do you recognize the pattern? You can recognize some of these patterns all the way back in history. And you all know, I'm a history buff. This one, you can see even from the Greek era, Antiochus Epiphanes number four, right? He's the one who sacrificed a pig in the, in the temple, in, in, the, in the second temple, right? And then uh, you can see um, Herod in Acts chapter, was it 19? or nine no it's not Acts chapter nine right herod in in the book of acts um uh, kind of people proclaiming oh you're the voice of a god and he kind of like accepted it and took credit for that right he assumes so so many little like mini antichrist mini lawless men out there okay and then he persecutes the christians okay we've seen that throughout history okay we see this throughout history not just in church history we see it in modern day as well we see it happening in china Today, we see it happening in many countries in the Middle East today. We see it happening in America today. We see it happening in the Western world today. We see it happening in Malaysia today. We see it happening everywhere. So guess what? We are living in these days. And these days have been had a pattern that's been going on back for hundreds of years. So we're not to be shocked or surprised. Or when we see more news of persecution of Christians, guess what? It may not be that it is necessarily intensifying. It's just that our news portals are way more globalized today, so you just get the news. But let it not be mistaken. Christians have been persecuted all around the world since Jesus' time. It's just that they didn't have Reddit back then, so you didn't get to you didn't get the news, right? You didn't. There's no Twitter back then, so that people can like, oh yeah, guy get beheaded again, right? Right? Nobody knew. They get persecuted in pockets in isolation. Why am I sharing this with you? Because it's the reality. The spirit of the Antichrist has come and is continuing to remain and is continuing to wreak havoc against Christians. Where do we see this? Right? We see this in 
Revelation 13, it, and it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. Now, don't get hung up about this word to conquer them because we know we win in the end, okay? Number six, he wows the world with signs and wonders. I'm going to trade carefully on this. Okay, I'm going to trade real carefully on this. But first, let me show you the text. 2 Thessalonians 2. The work of this man of lawlessness is based on Satan's working with every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders. Their signs, wonders, and miracles serve the lie. Okay? Hold this, huh? This is your Bible, huh? Revelation 13. The beast. See, this is the second beast. The second beast also performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And if you look at verse 14 and onwards, it says more about those signs and wonders. Now, I told you, I'm going to trade this one carefully. Do we believe in signs and wonders? Yes! Do we believe that the God of the Bible is able to heal the sick? Yes! Does he heal the sick 100% of the time? No. Because we've all released loved ones, you know, uh, um, back to the Lord, in spite of the fact that we prayed for them, okay? So we know it's not formulaic. We know He is not a vending machine, you know, insert prayer, press healing, you know, and you get your healing, you know, it's, God is not a vending machine, okay? But are signs and wonders for real? I've seen it for myself, my friends. And I know for many of you, you have been witness of it as well, and you witness of it to people. I know for many of us, we actively live in it. We either are a recipient of healing, we are a recipient of a sign, of a wonder, of a miracle, or we minister in this area to people all the time. So I just want to put it straight up from the back. SIBKL at Sungai Bulo and all of SIBKL will believe in the signs and wonders ministry. And we actively act it out and enact it you know, in our daily life in church. We do. Okay? But you must know that the enemy has a counterfeit form of signs and wonders as well. You must not be naive to think that just because you have signs and wonders, it means that you are top dog and you can go around uh, 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 showing off your signs and wonders without the self-awareness that actually other people in other faiths also got all these things on. Okay? And I come from a non-Christian background. So I can tell you this, Healing miracle testimonies actually don't really work for me. Okay? I'm going to be real honest here. Okay? They're great. They're great. And if it works for some people, it brings them to the Lord. That's great. Healing miracle testimony uh, never worked for me. You want to know why? As a non-Christian, I hear so many. I've heard so many. I've heard of even more crazy supernatural things, okay? Um, where things can have apparition in the house, la, and then suddenly uh, um, uh, got this thing, la, this person's name was spoken, la, this thing was that, la, and all these things, I've heard it all. I'm going to be real straight with you guys, church. I've heard it all. So if you go out and they're like, hey, my God, very good, no, no, Christian, uh, um, God, sign up, can healing one, uh, you know, that's good. If your recipient, uh, um, if it speaks to your recipient, but just so you know, it won't speak to every recipient. Because some recipients from other faiths have seen way more outlandish supernatural things happening. So just bear that in mind. One more point to note. This is a small, small warning. Don't get, don't get, don't work your entire faith around science and wonders ministry. Don't work your whole faith around it. Okay? Please don't. Please don't. Because 
because of this. Because you must have more than this. You must have loved your neighbor. You must have, you must have loved your enemy on top of signs and wonders. You must have uh, 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 give away some of the things you have to feed the poor. You must have some of that on top of signs and wonders. You must have God go speak the gospel. Make sure that the good news is, is going out there to people on top of signs and wonders. You must have a lot more than just signs and wonders because of this. If you are imbalanced and this is your major and all you love and think of is this, you're on shaky ground, my friends, because one day somebody's going to come and show you all these things and gosh, I do not want any one of you to fall away and to be part of that apostasy. Amen? Amen? Hear my heart? Hear my heart, right? We'll move on. The final one, number seven, he is utterly destroyed by God. Book ended by the utter complete destruction of this lawless man. Where do we see this? The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth. Revelation 13, um, both the beast and the false prophet will be thrown into the lake of fire. There is no fight. In the end, there is no fight. But for every single one of us, we must endure till the end because those who endure till the end will be saved. Those who endure till the end can say, I'm going to see a victory. As you endure, that's our song. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory, meaning I'm going to hang around long enough to see a victory. I'm not going to bail out before I see that victory. That's what that song means to me. That's what that song should mean to every single one of us. God is in full control. He will utterly destroy and defeat the enemy. Amen? Amen? Why is this important? Because we are going to have to endure. That's why you must know. You must have the end from the beginning so that you will know to endure to the end. Final point, love the truth. Now, I read this last week and I think we had some non-Christians in our midst last week and I was a little bit like, oh my gosh, I'm reading this, you know, and I don't know how they will hear it. Let me read this to you again. God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. And when I read this last week, Without the liberty to explain it, my, my, my blood curdled a little bit. I was like, oh no, how are they going to hear this? Oh no, are they going to hear this as, as God's going to exact vengeance on you because you're not a Christian? Burn in hell! It's like, oh no, but we're not that kind of church. And I'm, so how are they going to feel? I'm going to send them out of this room, this hall, without having the liberty to explain this. And to myself, I'm going to explain this next week, you know. But some weeks we come, some weeks we don't come. So... If you just read this straight, it sounds like any non-Christian out there, God's going to wreak vengeance on them just because they didn't believe in God. And that sounds like a really, really insecure God. And that sounds like a really tempestuous God, you know. And so I want to help you to see something that I see in the text because you don't just build theology on one sentence. You build theology on the reference of each other, of the whole body of scripture, right? That's how you build, at least you build strong theology. God's going to inflict vengeance on those who do not know God. And another description, and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So there's actually two attributes here. And both come together. It's not either this or this. It's these two exist in the people whom God brings, inflicts vengeance on. But there are more attributes than just these two. So let me click. 
and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. So they are perishing. They don't know God. They don't obey the gospel. They are perishing. They did not accept the love of the truth. Or in other translations, they did not love the truth. So this same group of people, multiple attributes now describing them. They don't love the truth. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion. This is where I'm going to get into it. So that they will believe the lie. So they believe a lie. They don't just don't love the truth. They actually buy into a lie. And in the end, they delight in unrighteousness. All of these attributes apply at the same time, at once, in the people. This is not the man, M-A-M, of lawlessness anymore. These are all the people whom in Revelation 13 describes all who drink the wine of the beast. Meaning, all the ones who worship the man of lawlessness. Whether by bending a knee or by following and copying his ways. All the M-E-N, or the people of lawlessness, they are the ones who afflict you, do not know God, do not obey the gospel, they are perishing, they do not love the truth, they believe in the lie, they delight in unrighteousness. I'm going to show you now, just very quickly, okay? Today is a little bit heavy, but I really am going to end already, okay? God sends them a strong delusion, right? Okay? If you look at Revelation, God allows the false prophet to come. Okay? God allows the false prophet to come so that people who have hardened their hearts, somehow God adds to the hardening. And this is part of the mystery of the way God relates to people who have determined to fight God. He seems to, and this might make some of us uncomfortable, he seems to allow them to fight me. You want to fight me? Okay? I'll work with you in fighting me because I will use everyone to my glory. I will use those with soft hearts to my glory because they will yield to me in obedience and they will be glorified and I will be glorified, says the Lord. And he says that for those who want to fight me and you've already hardened your hearts, I will add to your hardening of your heart so that you will act as in your villainous, treacherous ways to inflict harm on all of my people and then I will bring judgment on you to my glory, says the Lord. And that's how he works. If you've read Exodus and you see in all the plagues that happens on Pharaoh, some of the plagues and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then in some of the plagues and God hardened his heart. And then in some of them and Pharaoh hardened his heart. Who's hardening whose heart? Is God hardening Pharaoh's heart or is Pharaoh hardening his heart? Both are happening at the same time. And you look all the way to back, who started it? Pharaoh started it. How you know Pharaoh started it? Because one day he decided that, you know what, too many of you guys, I'm going to make you guys work harder with no, with no straw, right? He started it. And then when he started it, God says, you've decided, you've walked on this path. Warning number one for every single one of us, let's not push the line with God. Because there is a line somewhere and you can push the line past a certain point where you harden yourself so much that God will say, my only way I can use you beyond this line is to use you as a villain in this grand narrative. Don't even go near that line. This is not about your ordinary non-believing Christian, a non-Christian friend outside. This is about 
people who have hardened their hearts to the point that they will persecute you, they will harm you, they will betray you, and all of those things. So my friends, love the truth. Every one of us love the truth, but love others into the truth. Amen? Don't just love the truth, love others into the truth. If you're friends who are not yet believers, we are not the kind of, you're going to burn in hell kind of church. We are not that kind of church. Okay? We're going to love them into the truth. Because as long as the end has not come yet, in as much as we can endure and we will endure because we want to see a victory, our hearts go out to them so that they can join us. They still have a chance to join us so that we can all see a victory. Amen? Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, Lord God. Father, we thank you, Lord God that we belong to you. We are your people, Lord God. Every day, grant to us the endurance, the endurance to go through, to go through hardship, to go through persecution, to go through dry spells, to go through calamity and misfortune, to go through whatever we are going through. Church, if you are going through a particularly hard time right now, I just want you to open up your hands. Just open up your hands right now and open up your hands in a, in, in, in a lavish way before God. Just say, God, God, it's been hard. All eyes closed anyway. All eyes closed anyway. So no one looking around. If you are going through a really hard time, just open up your arms before the Lord and say, Lord, some days I feel like I can't endure. Some days I feel like I'm going to break down. I really don't know how much strength I have left. But Lord, you said, you said that whatever God whatever the enemy meant for evil, you will turn it for good. So Lord, I'm asking you right now in all earnest faith, turn this trial for good. Amen. Turn this trial for good. Lord, can you turn this trial for good? You yes, said Lord. you would. You said you would. You said, it to, you said it through Joseph that you could turn the trial for good. You said it to Jesus that you can turn that trial for good. You said it to the apostles who were crucified and who were killed and who were martyred. You can turn that trial for good. You said it to the church fathers from all the 2,000 years till now that you can turn every trial for good. Lord, in my trial today, look upon us in compassion and in mercy and turn it for good, Lord God, and grant to us the strength and the endurance to keep holding on because I want to be saved. And you said in your word, only those who endure till the end will be saved. I'm not going to chicken out now. I'm not going to quit on you now. I'm going to hang into you. I'm going to lean into you. I'm going to cling on to you until the very end of my days or until the very end of all days. And I'm going to cling on until I see that final victory. For the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen. The battle belongs to the Lord. So church, I just want you to trust. Hold your hands up in a posture of trust. Now trust is just one of those things. It's relational and trust is forged. Trust is relational and trust is forged. In your trial, in this furnace, God is forging trust. Father, I want to close this service on this note of trusting in you through the fire. Whatever fire we may be in, Lord, use it 
to purify us, use it to strengthen us, use it to shape us and mold us, and Lord, use it to build and grow and form a greater level of trust in us for you. And in so doing, give us strength to endure to the end of our days. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His countenance toward you and give you shalom. And all of God's people shout aloud, Amen! Amen! Amen.